Well, I, um, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year. And uh, for a lot of reasons, I love loading a tree on top of my uh, car and getting the, the sticky hands syndrome. I love coming home and decorating it with lights. I love the parties. I love all the pieces that come with it, the, just the celebration of it. And I think one of the reasons I love it so much is because it really makes me feel like a kid again in so many ways, <clears throat> even though the reality is I'm definitely not a kid anymore. This was really brought home to me the other day. I was walking my son, my four-and-a-half-year-old son, Bennett, home from school, and we crossed the street, and the crossing guard said to me, um, uh, how's your day going? And we started chatting, and we, we kind of walked away. Bennett and I were walking away, and as we walked away, he's called out to us. He said, I hope you have a great day with your grandson. Christmas makes me feel young. It really does, and I need that. Um, but I, I think for all of us, it, it captures a sense of that childlike wonder, right? That's one of the reasons we love Christmas so much, because it does make us feel young in a way, and it should. And it should because Christmas, in a sense, is, is really about celebrating um, what makes us all human. And more than that, it's about celebrating the fact that the greatest miracle in human history occurred at Christmas. That's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that God himself sent his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And so the very idea that God himself would take on flesh and live among us as a human, it boggles the mind and it stretches the imagination. And so it should leave us feeling this sense of wonder and the sense of awe throughout the season. And so I hope you will celebrate it with, with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder and joy and gratitude. And so I love Christmas, but there's another season that I have come to love uh, as well, and it's the season of Advent. I have come to love the season of Advent. Now, Advent is, uh, is the four weeks, if you haven't heard of Advent, Advent is the four weeks that leads up to the celebration of Christmas. And we, uh, we've celebrated that in the church more or less since about the fourth century. So it's been a part of the church kind of ebb and flow of the year for a long time. But if it's new to you, it's a really powerful season. And the word Advent kind of gives you a clue as to what it is about. It comes from the Latin Adventus. And it means basically this idea of arrival or uh, of uh, someone coming. And this Advent season really is about um, celebrating the fact that we are waiting or have been waiting and will wait for Jesus to come and Jesus to return. And so I love Advent because if Christmas is about celebrating the gift of Jesus and, and things like feasting and joy, then Advent is all about preparing to receive that gift. It's a time when we reflect on our deep hunger for Jesus. It's about slowing down and waiting. And so my hope is that as we celebrate both Advent and Christmas together this season, we'll experience the ways that both of these seasons together can really draw us, draw our hearts nearer to the Lord. And to help us do that, we're going to spend time this Advent in the opening verses of John's Gospel. And so what we're going to do is each week we'll look at this same passage, John 1, 1 through 18. And as we do that, we're going to kind of look at different uh, particular aspects of who Jesus is and why he came that John points us to in these words. So I want to invite you, if you would, stand. And I'm going to read 
from the gospel, these opening verses for us as we get started. These verses about Jesus. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness to the light, and all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will or of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Heavenly Father, our simple prayer this morning is that you would help us to understand who Jesus is and why he came. Why the God of the universe took on flesh and dwelt among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would grab a seat. And so, having heard these incredible verses about who Jesus is, I just want to kind of drill down on that question and consider what it is that John has just said to us in these incredible words in answer to this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? John actually begins in a very unique way. If you look at all the other Gospels, it's a a bold and amazing claim he starts with right from the beginning. It's interesting, if you look at Matthew, Matthew begins by talking about the fact that that Jesus came from Abraham. He goes back to that point to begin the story. Whereas, if you look at Luke, he starts with Adam. He goes all the way back to Adam. But John, John goes even further. He goes all the way back, he says, in the beginning. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It's a unique and audacious beginning to the story of Jesus. So what is John actually telling us about Jesus here? Well, first he's saying that Jesus is divine. Jesus is the Word, and the Word was God, is what he says. Jesus wasn't just a a wise man or a great teacher. He actually was God himself. The second thing John tells us is this, that Jesus is the creator God. He says, in the beginning was the Word, These words echo the very beginning of the Bible itself. Genesis chapter 1. To say Jesus was there in the beginning is to say that Jesus existed before anything else existed. 
It's hard to get your mind around that idea of existing before anything existed. But that's exactly what John is claiming about Jesus. As one author put it, how do you even begin to explain that which must be accepted at the beginning of all explanation? But that's what John is saying. He's saying Jesus is the word. And Jesus, Genesis tells us, was there when God created the universe by his word. That's how God spoke reality into existence, by his word. And for the Jews, it was through the word that God revealed and expressed himself in the universe. And for the Greeks, the word, the logos, was what held everything together. And so John's grabbing on hold of all that meaning. And what he's saying is this word, this creative, animating, life-giving word, that's Jesus. And then third, John tells us this about Jesus. He says Jesus is a relational God. He's a relational God. It says he was with God. And then again it says he was with God in the beginning. John mentions it twice here. It's interesting because in the Greek, um, this word with, pros is what it is, this, this word can have a range of kind of meanings. And one thing it can mean is that he was with God. He was near God. Like I'm near to Luke. It can mean just proximity. But it can also carry a sense of relational closeness. And I think John wants us to pick up on this idea that it's not just that Jesus was there with God in proximity to God when all this happened. It's that he was with God in the truest, deepest sense. That almost there was this, this idea that he wants us to understand that, that Jesus was face to face with God himself at the very beginning of all things. Jesus wants us to understand that God is a relational God. This, this relationship between the word and God is an interpersonal relationship. So close almost that they seem to almost blend together. John is starting out his gospel this way with this reminder that, that at the center of the universe, the source of all creation, whether it's thinking about Things of science like physics and biology or psychology or chemistry, all of that. What's at the core of it? What's at the heart of it? What's at the beginning of it is relationship. It's relationship. Not important personal forces of good and evil, not dark matter, not just this empty, meaningless vacuum. But there at the beginning, this loving, joyful, intimate relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And what's amazing is that when you put all that together, you see Jesus as he's God and he's the creator God and he's this relational God. What makes that amazing is when you come to verse 14 and you read these words that God himself, the word, took on flesh and dwelt among us. When we hear those words, it's like a, it's like a theological Grenade should go off for us. How in the world is it possible that the God who is God, who created all things, who existed before all things, now takes on the form of a human being? Jesus the eternal, enjoying life and joy of community in the Trinity, worshiped by all things heavenly forever and ever, set aside the robes of heaven and took on the form of a man. I love what 
a missionary named Leslie Newbegin says. He, he says to try to get your head around what this means, like what Jesus actually did. He said, imagine if you were to wake up tomorrow morning in the body of a slug. That's what God did. <laughs> now, I didn't just call all of us slugs, so we're just going to have to deal with that. But the real, you get the point, right? The, the point is that, that for Jesus to set aside all of the glory, the fullness of who he is, the claim that John is making, and to enter into humanity. It's a radical, mind-numbing claim. And so it begs the question, if Jesus took on flesh and dwelt among us, why in the world would he do that? Why would Jesus do that? Well, it wasn't because he was bored. It's not because God was curious what it would be like to be a human. It's not because he was lonely. In fact, the answer is right here in John's opening in verse 12. He says this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of the will, nor of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. The mission of Jesus, again, is relationship. He came all this, he came all this way, and he did all that he did in order to bring humanity into the family of God. To adopt us into his family, that we might be called, as John says, children of God. To enjoy this, this intimate relationship with God. We were created by God. and We were created by God to be with God. And this intimacy, this intimacy is, is the greatest, I would say, and most specifically powerful goal of the Christian faith. That God made us to be in relationship with him. And Jesus desires and even prays for everyone to know this and to experience this. He said this in John 17, 21. He said, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You can't get more intimate than what Jesus just described. That is Jesus' prayer, that we should enjoy the same relationship with the Father that Jesus has and that the Father would have the same relationship with us that he has with the Son. That in Christ we would participate in the fellowship of the Trinity. This explosion of love, this dance of friendship, this eternity of joy. This is the whole point, the primary message of Christianity. Christianity is not just some system of rules for life. It's not a philosophy or a principle to help make us better citizens in the world. It's not just a crutch for people getting through difficult times. It's not about politics or moralism or elitism. It's not about these things. It's the good news that in Christ, God has come back and invites us into life with him. That was the original intention. Genesis 1 sets it up all this way. From the beginning, we were created for this intimacy with God. And, of course, we rejected that. We rejected life with God. We Instead, we chose independence. We chose a life for ourselves instead of relationship with him. We chose separateness, and we live in the consequences of that separateness. But the story of the Bible is the story of God pursuing a relationship once again with his people. 
It's the story of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the perfection and joy of their communion with one another, choosing to pursue and invite us back into relationship with them. I mean, think about what that means for a moment. I mean, can you imagine the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together? And what they say is, actually, what we really want, what we really need is we need for David to join us. We need for Vaughn to be a part of this. We need Charlie to be a part of this eternal communion forever. That's the heart of God, to invite us into this experience of life with him. He wants to invite us to come home to be with him forever. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a famous story that most of us know as the prodigal son. It's about the son who comes home after having rejected his father. And the, and the, the beautiful part is the father runs out to meet him as he's coming down the road. And he embraces him and he, he forgives him and he welcomes the younger son home. And it's this beautiful parable of, of, the, of God the father's love for us. But Jesus tells us that there was an older brother that was a part of the family. And it's interesting because what's clear is that this older brother fails uh, to love the younger brother as the father did. He fails. And so the story feels incomplete. It feels a little bit off. The brother in this story falls short. But the good news of the gospel and the good news of Advent and Christmas is that Jesus is, is the loving older brother that was missing in that story who enters into our story. He's, he's the son of God. He's Jesus Christ. And he comes searching for us to bring us back home to the Father. Edmund Clowney uh, tells a story of a young man who was a U.S. soldier who went missing in action in Vietnam during the war. And when the family couldn't get any word uh, through official channels, kind of what had happened to their son, um, their older son flew over to Vietnam and risking his life, he searched. He searched through the jungles. He searched the battlefields. He searched everywhere for his lost brother. And it's said that despite the danger, he was, he was never hurt because those on both sides had heard of his love for his brother. And they respected his quest. And some of them even began to call him simply the brother. You see, Jesus didn't just go to a different country. Jesus came all the way from heaven to earth, searching after you and me. He came at great cost to himself. He laid aside all that was his in heaven, and he took on flesh. And the creation mocked him and teased him and tortured him and crucified him. And he gave his own life that we might be brought back into God's family. It's the good news of Advent, the good news of Christmas, that Jesus himself came searching for us. Since I close, I want to wrap things up with a quote. Uh, I want to quote the immortal words of Kevin Arnold. <clears throat> Y'all may remember a show called The Wonder Years. Anybody remember that show? Yeah? Okay. I loved the little reflections that Kevin would have kind of towards the end of the show. He would kind of say something really deep and profound. And, and he said something one episode that I think really captures 
what we're talking about this morning. So I just want to read to you what he said. He said, all of our lives, we search for someone to love, someone that makes us complete. We choose partners and change partners. We dance to the song of heartbreak and hope, and all the while wondering if somewhere, somehow, there's someone perfect who might be searching for us. I think these words capture exactly the heart of God who sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to search for you and for me. And this Advent, I pray that you would remember there is a God who loves you. And through all the course of human history, from before there was even time, this God has been seeking to bring you back into relationship with him. Would you pray with me? God, this morning, I simply pray that you would remind us, each of us, how much you love us. Lord, that you loved us enough to send your own son. And that he, the eternal word, came from heaven to earth and took on flesh and dwelt among us. So that we might know who you are and what you're like and your love for us. Lord, this morning I pray especially for anyone here who senses, Lord, that you are after them. That you've been seeking them and searching for them. Lord, that feels lost. Lord, that, that knows they need you. Lord, I pray you would draw them to yourself this Advent season and even this morning, that they might come to know you and your great love for them in Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.